the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right. Awesome. We are here with another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast. Today, we have an exciting guest, Victoria Cantu, the Director of Business Development for Fuel Tracks. Victoria, thank you for coming out. Thank you for your time. Hi, Andy. It's so great to be here. Thank you for joining me in my office. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a beautiful office. It's uh, wonderful. Thanks. I appreciate it. So here at the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. And what you guys are doing here at Field Tracks is certainly doing that. I actually got to sit down with one of the project engineers for Tidewater yesterday. They had fantastic things to say just at a real high level. So hopefully we'll get to learn a lot more about that today. Well, I really appreciate that. I love hearing that our clients have great things to say about us. It's really important, as I'll talk more about today with you. It's so important to us that our clients are having a good experience with our product and that they're really happy and satisfied with the solutions that we're able to provide for them. So that's really great to hear. The show is brought to you by Tidewater Marine. They are the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry with over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at tdw.com. Victoria, how about we just start with a little bit about yourself, your background, kind of what got you here? Yeah, great. So I started my career in upstream working for a small venture fund company that was funded by Shell. It was called Zytex. It was an artificial lift downhold tool. And that company got bought by Schlumberger. So kind of overnight, I went from doing marketing for one tool to doing marketing for 500 tools in the artificial lift department. And that kind of really sparked my career in upstream oil and gas. I stayed around, helped that team with their acquisition into one subsea. And then from there, I got the call to join Field Tracks. So I've been here now for about three years, learning a lot about the maritime industry and specifically how the sector converges with oil and gas. So so no no maritime operations. Have you spent any time offshore? Have you got on vessels, anything? I, I haven't. I haven't. I've spent um, all of my time in the office working, you know, sales, business development, understanding clients' problems, and then how the products and the solutions that I work with can be fit for those needs. Well, that's better than me. I haven't been on a vessel yet either. My my maritime operation experience is uh, sitting behind this microphone so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. great. I'm, I'm glad to add a little bit to that. <laughs> You're reading me. But you do have quite an extensive bit of knowledge about the industry. I know we've already talked a bit and learned what you guys are doing here. How, I guess, let's start with just what is Fuel Tracks? What is your, what is your goal each day, to, how to service the industry? Yeah, yeah. So just at a really high level, what we do is provide direct fuel management on board the offshore supply vessels that are working for these oil and gas companies. Not only the offshore supply vessels or the other vessel types that are working in the oil and gas sector, but also other maritime sectors. So that could be tanker operations, shipping, you know, other commercial maritime aspects. And so what we're doing is a little bit different than just standard data gathering. We're actually installing hardware systems on board the vessels that are directly measuring the fuel consumption using Coriolis mass flow metering technology, which is used industry-wide for its preciseness and its accuracy. 
So with the actual hardware on board, we're transferring all of that data and processing that data through a web portal that's giving access to our clients to be able to see all of the fuel data in real time, to see how their vessels are operating, track their locations, and then run analytics and reports and operational improvements on how they operate their fleets. And all that information comes from primarily fuel consumption. Right, right. That's exactly right. So we're measuring the fuel consumption directly. Not only that, but we also can do measurements of the transfers on board, whether that be the ship's fuel or the cargo. Also tank measurements. And then we're collecting our own GPS and independent GPS with uh, speed and location. Yeah, Coriolis meters are quite common throughout the whole oil and gas sector. I mean, every every truckload gets delivered through one pretty much. I mean, all the pipelines, everybody's using them. Right, right. And that's the thing that was really surprising, especially to our CEO coming from, he, he did subsea control systems for companies like Exxon and, you know, worked on universal subsea control systems for them, where automation and control are so heavily ingrained into all of the processes. They're already all built in there. Coming into the maritime space and looking at how vessels were still built and being operated, a lot of the processes were still manual. They're still done just based on tradition, the way that they've always been done. And that was the same with fuel monitoring. Manual soundings are still common for the vast majority of fleets that are operating. Yeah, I had a, another interview where he went back and told some stories like, you hook up, hook up the hose, check a tank, check a tank, ride it on the ticket, put it in a bucket, toss it over and call it good. No meters, no, I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind knowing what we do onshore every day with that same kind of material. Right, right. And so all we're doing is taking that same level of control and preciseness that's already really prevalent in the oil and gas industry and applying it specifically to the maritime sector, right? Applying it directly on board the vessel, which is, I think, is something that's new. There is a lot of automation and control on board the vessels, but vessels are looking to be more digital and and more automated. And things that were part of the crew's everyday processes, those are the types of things that we want to try to automate to make their their day-to-day operations easier take the human error out of the equation a little bit. Right, right, exactly. And that that helps with accuracy, right? Cuz when you when you start compounding human the human element into data collection, that can eventually lead to data con- contamination, right? Where your whole database is contaminated because you have this constant ingrained level of error that you can't control for, right? When you put meters on board a vessel and you automate all of that, you can help alleviate that problem. Yeah, meters don't have bad days necessarily. I guess they can fail. Right randomly rarely but and and so that that's the other part of the system and that's you know i'm really glad that you brought that up you know systems fail and that's the part of the reason why the maritime industry has been so slow to adopt new technologies right they really want to trust the technologies so what we've done is hardened our system and made sure that it was perfectly fit for the maritime environment we have a 99 percent uptime around the world we you know maintain the reliability and the support of our system as like our number one goal for customer success. And and we understand that it, it becomes a mission critical piece of equipment for them. We want them to be able to trust and rely on it. Just thinking through this, I mean, is it something where if the system does fail, can they still get fueled through. I mean, absolutely, it's not stop. absolutely. Yeah, we're a completely passive system. So there's because we're using Coriolis meters, the way that they're designed is, you know, they don't inhibit the flow in any form or fashion. So we've never had any issues with inhibiting flow on board. I mean, even if the whole system goes down for fuel tracks, there's always flow directly to the engines, right? And that's what makes it a completely passive system. Yeah, no, that that certainly helps make it reliable, and hopefully that it seems to have helped with adoption and 
and rolling it out. Right, right. The reliability and, and the whole trust in in the validity of the data that's coming out of it has really helped with the adoption. I've definitely seen over the past couple of years more and more interest from both oil and gas and the maritime industry in systems like ours. And it's something that can be put on a new vessel, an old vessel. I mean, is there right. size limitations for too big, too small? No, there's, there's no size limitations. There's no limitations with the field track system. It's been designed from day number one to be flexible and to fit all different shapes and sizes of vessels. You know, a, a lot of different vessels in different sectors of the maritime industry can be complex for a variety of reasons, right? Container ships can be really complex, but OSVs and offshore supply vessels can be really complex too when it comes to how they consume fuel and the different types of fuel consumers that they have on board. So what we've done is we've built a system that's universal, that can fit all of those different complexities and that can be adapted in those different ways. So the main hardware is the meters and the sensors that are collecting the data. And then you have the software piece to come in, do the reporting, do the analytics, do you know all, all the data visualization, all the things that you're going to do from it there. Right, right. And we like to think about the system kind of in two parts. There is that initial hardware system. It does include software on board. So there is a program on board. There's a screen displays available for the captain and the crew to see real-time fuel data to see consumption. We have throttle recommendations that are available on board that help with optimization that can save upwards of 10 or 15% or greater when it comes to fuel consumption while in transit. So there's a lot of tools that are available on on the bridge, right? But that's that's not where the value comes in, right? The most value comes in from that web portal, from that management level dashboard where they're able to see all of that information. And then they can start analyzing that information and then start relaying that that data back to the captains on how they operate their vessels, helping them to make better decisions. We like to say make smarter decisions, right? So helping the captains and, and the crew on board operate their vessels in, in the most optimal way. How does that tie into some of the things that I know the industry is going through right now with, with battery, battery implementation and like peak shaving and, and some of those, you know, efficiency gains? Yeah, so there's you know, there's a lot of ways to tackle efficiencies, and so you know when you're looking at you know adding batteries or adding a hybrid system to your to your vessel, it fact of the matter is it still requires fuel to generate power to charge those batteries, and so what we can do is help with optimizing that level of fuel consumption, and then you know any backup fuel systems that are being used while the batteries are charging, and so there's still a fuel component that is required on board the vessel, even when you're moving in towards these hybrid models, right? right? And then as we see changes from 2020 coming along, we expect the fuel price to increase. And so it's gonna be more expensive to be using fuel as the energy driver to power those batteries. And so you're gonna wanna be able to control that, right? And so it's, it's all about controlling cost. Fuel is an asset on board the vessel, just like anything else. And so it, it's about, you know, finding control measures to be able to best manage that as an asset. And you mentioned IMO 2020 and, and some of the changes coming through there. The system isn't hindered by those changes, right? None of that matters to your system. The fuel changes Right, right. And so what we're doing actually is making enhancements to our system specifically because of IMO 2020 and some of the other requirements that are coming out for reporting when it comes to fuel consumption. Emissions. Exactly. And mm -hmm. so this is just making sure that we already have all of the data available 
in the fuel portal in the fuel net portal right now for you to get and run the reports and so what we're doing is just making it easier for our clients to go in and access those reports kind of like within a click of a button generate the information that they need to submit it but yeah we've been collecting this data for you know over 15 years or for the vessels that we've been operating on and we have years and years worth of emissions reporting data that can be used to help with those initiatives i guess that leads me into you kind of said it there how long has fuel tracks been around how long has it been in the industry yeah so yeah like i I mentioned we started here in Houston around 2003-2004 by our founder and CEO Anthony George. Like I mentioned he had a subsea control systems company was doing different types of control system projects and he was approached by an inland operator here in the United States, Kirby Inland Marine, and they had a challenge. They didn't have a way to manage fuel on board their vessels and you know they promptly recognized, you know, we can't manage what we don't measure, right? So they wanted a way to better understand that. And so Anthony looked at the vessel, thought, you know, I can build a control system around this. And that was kind of fuel track system number one. After a series of 15 of those, he realized, you know, I don't necessarily have a series of projects on my hands. This seems more like a product. So he sold off the subsea control systems company, kept the fuel tracks product and started Nautical Control Solutions. That's who we are today. And so the company itself has been around since 2006. And all we do now is focus on the development of fuel tracks and the support of our clients. Awesome. How many, roughly, how many vessels globally do you think you have systems on today? Yeah, so since that first iteration, we've probably been on over 500, 550 vessels now. And so there's been different generations, fuel tracks. We started out using a different metering type before we standardized on the Coriolis metering. I would say now, now that we have this Coriolis metering version of the system that we're using right now, we call it Gen 5. Now that we have that system in place and that that's becoming more adopted in the market. And so I would say, you know, we have over well over 250 vessels that are operating with that that particular system. And Coriolis meters, I mean, they give you lots of data just besides metering gallons or, or you know, mass, right? You're getting density, temperature. Exactly. You probably even get a quality measure. If can you tell if right. there's water in the fuel or anything exactly, like that? Exactly, exactly. So because we're t- we're measuring density and we have temperature and the flow rate and everything, because the meters are intelligent, they're able to tell us things like if there's water or air in the line, right? And so that's the kind of benefits that you have over using a standard metering technology like positive displacement meters, mm-hmm. where you just have like a mechanical wheel that's constantly spinning. It doesn't know the difference between water. It doesn't know the difference between air, and you're just every tick and every turn of the wheel is, is is still counting flow, right? And what we're doing is we're putting the difference between water, between air. And so any transfers that you have ongoing are more accurate because of that. You're able to tell the quality based on the density of the fuel itself. And that really helps our clients in areas where quality and, and accountability is a huge concern. Yeah, PD meters, it's just counting bucketfuls. You know, right. Fill the bucket, dump the bucket. You know, yeah. But, so you, that's a great change. I'm glad that you guys came to that technology and, and got that implemented. It sounds like it's working out really well. Yeah. You mentioned product handling as well. Do you, are you handling anything besides fuel? Are you guys branching into large transfers for cargo and things of that nature? That's a great question. So anything that can flow through a pipe, anything that can be measured by a coilless meter, technically fuel tracks can measure with, mm-hmm. with the system. So We've turned that into a couple of different ways. One way we've turned specifically more in the oil and gas market, kind of 
where our offshore means land land right at the dock is is for a mobile measurement unit. We call it FieldTracks Mobile. And it's taken all of the technology and all of the hardware that we have on board the entire vessel that's usually spaced out across the entire vessel. And it's put it into a single skid. So you can imagine like a really large telephone booth that you can roll around on the dock and you have this portable meter, Coriolis meter that you can use as a custody grade transfer point. So it's a digital record of every custody transfer that goes through that location. And you can see, you know, within a few minutes, you can see it show up on the web portal with the location pin and all of the the Coriolis level of detail that you need to validate the accuracy of the transfer and that it was actual fuel that you received. Do you have to approve the meters at all? I mean, is that part of the cycle? I, I, I keep in my head, I keep envisioning a crude oil lack unit. That's like anybody that's in oil and gas on land is going to know what that is and how we measuring crude oil through those all day. We do like monthly provings, mm-hmm. you know, right. annual. And, and, and that that's really, that that's up to the, the end user, mm-hmm. right? How often right. that they, they want proving. So we have different, we see different levels across the industry across our end users, just depending on the areas that they're operating in and the level of accuracy that they need to maintain because of that. But I would say, you know, Coriolis meters in general, they're designed to be highly accurate, highly intelligent meters. The great thing about them is, is they, if they're, they, is every, anything ever wrong with them, they can tell us, right? Mm. So the way that we've designed our system, and this goes into our mobile measurement system or our systems on board, but the way that they're designed is that not only can we talk to the system, but the system can talk to us, right? So we have bi-directional communication. And so if there's something ever wrong with it, if, it, if a meter's ever going wonky, it'll start telling us that, you know, something's not right with me. And the meters and the nature of Coriolis meters is that they're programmed with their calibration before they leave the factory. And so if that starts, if they start detecting that they're going out with out of their calibration, then we can get notified. So what we do is we do a remote calibration annually for all of our meters. It's standard. It's what we do across the board, just as a remote self-check verification. We have other clients that require manual meter proving and, and recalibration on a more regular basis because of the areas that they're operating in. And so we work to be able to serve them also. And with the different areas of operation, that kind of leads into the thought of like fuel theft and being able to detect that. Of Looking into fuel tracks, that was one of the things that was mentioned that you guys are are helping combat and, and deter. How does that fit into to the whole cycle? Yeah, that's actually what really pulled us into the oil and gas market. It's kind of what why we've taken off and, and started working in this space for the last few years. It was really driven by the downturn in 2013 and 2014. You can kind of remember the time before when fuel was $100 a barrel, right? Uh-huh, it's kind, it's kind yeah. of when I was just starting my <laughs> career, things are still good. And at that time, you know, the fuel theft epidemic still existed. There were still huge, huge amounts of fuel theft that were ongoing. And we're talking about, you know, really egregious numbers that you couldn't imagine. Something like 30% of fuel coming out of certain countries in, in West Africa where they, they don't know 30% of the fuel is going, right? And so it's really surprising numbers. And so when when the downturn came and fuel was then $50 a barrel, you couldn't afford to allow that a, a level of theft to be happening anymore, right? right? No one no one can kind of just turn a blind eye to it yeah. the way that they used to. And so because from the top down, they really needed to stop it. So, 
you know, we had a system that just accurately measured fuel. We didn't go into the fuel security business. We didn't go into the we're going to stop fuel theft business. We just kind of tripped and fell into it, as I say. It's a happy bike. Yeah, product. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it it kind of just happened because of how precisely and how accurately we were measuring and the level of insight and transparency that we were providing. So not only do the vessel owners on board get all of the view and the data, but they can then give that that same view to the charters that they're working for, right? And so they can share that level of transparency and they can build a level of trust into the operations that are ongoing and the, the activities that are happening with the vessels and, and with the fuel use on board. So Victoria, what is next for fuel tracks? What's on the horizon? This is my favorite question. I'm so glad that you asked. Okay. So we have a lot of really exciting things on the horizon. We have, you know, over 15 years of operational data collected that we've kind of been sitting on and that that we've been planning, starting to play around with a little bit and see what kind of information we can use, what kind of information we can gather from, from all the data that we've collected, right? And how do we turn the data sets that we have into more user-friendly information? So not only having the zeros and ones available or having a place to where you can go access the data, but a place where you can visualize that data and interact with it. That way you can go in and instead of having to process data or run graphs or try to find an answer, you're then able to go within a couple of clicks of a button, find the answer that you're looking for, and then take action in order to improve your operations. So what, what does that look like, right? What, what does that all mean? That, that looks like things like, you know, new ways for us to visualize the data. Mm-hmm. We have a new director of data analytics that's working on all of that. That looks like us working more closely with our clients, understanding their operations, understanding how they're using the data, right? What types of things are important to them? And then listening to the industry, right? Us listening to the industry and what, what's the industry? What's doing with with data especially in in maritime right now there's a lot of interest in in big data and internet of things industrial there's all of these buzzwords around data so for us that means turning the data sets that we have into a usable tool for our clients that way they can go on to making smarter decisions yeah it's uh, you know i think that like you've said it's going across the board all sectors of the industry if you listen to the oggn network at all I think every podcast at some point has some mention of big data and data analytics and how that's that's changing everything. That's changing not just oil and gas or maritime, but that that's changing the industry globally. Right. It's really changing the entire world. And, and anyone that you talk to in maritime is going to tell you that we've been the slowest industry to adapt to this change, right? The slowest industry to adapt to digitalization. But I think it's, it's going to be the industry that's going to have the biggest impact when it does fully digitalize. People don't realize how prevalent the maritime sector is in, into all areas of life, right? And how much this industry is, is really a, a core backbone to a lot of other big industries around the world. And so once we do make that leap and that transformation, I think it's going to be really, I would hope, a really good impact for how other industries are run as well. So you mentioned kind of an aversion to risk as, as a big hindrance on uh, on deployment of this software or any new software in maritime. But in your eyes, what is the biggest hurdle? What are, what are you attacking every day to try to get more fuel tracks out there? Right. It, and it, it's just, it's interesting because it's a lot of traditionalism. So a lot of people, you know, they've been doing things the way that they've been doing them for the last 50 years, and they're completely happy and satisfied with that. And that's great. You know, there's nothing wrong with the way that everyone's been doing things. But, 
now that we are in the 21st century, there are new digital automated ways to be able to tackle these challenges. We don't have to stick to the same old methods and adopting to that those new methods can have a lot of benefits. And so a lot of it is just, I think that that's honestly my primary challenge that I battle every day. It was the challenge that I battled when I was, you know, doing sales and marketing and upstream, it's still, it's even more prevalent now in maritime. And I think that it's going to continue to be a challenge as, you know, more young people are kind of moving into these industries and they're they're expecting new technologies to be adopted and stuff. We're going to see a lot more of this. And so it's just up to us to, to, to prove to them that these technologies work, that they can be trusted and the proof is in the pudding. I think that's what we've done. Like you, you know, from our testimonial earlier, right? Our clients are really satisfied with the results. And so that's what we always point back to is like, you know, we have the results and the the data and the the satisfaction in our customers to be able to to say to the industry, yes, we are making changes and it, it you you can trust adapting a new technology like ours. Yeah, I think I think that's a big thing that you you hit it kind of square on the head was just a new generation coming into the industry where they're they're getting on these vessels and what do you mean there's no app to tell you how much fuel we have like you don't you don't do that no, no it's in that bucket over there we 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 stick the tank he's like no no you know so I could totally see that as a big support for deploying the system further what about just I don't think vessels get built all that often. They're a large investment. They're, you know, many of these large operators are running vessels that are been around a long time. Is that something do you see on the horizon, just being a bigger part of new builds and deployments there? Yeah, definitely. And so we work with a lot of shipbuilders with their new build programs. There's one notably, actually the the vessel that's sitting right here on our in front of us on our table. A shout out to our, our partner Penguin that's based in Singapore. And so they, that's that's a shipbuilder that's standardized on fuel tracks for all of their new builds that require a fuel monitoring system. And so we're we're seeing more of that. More customers are requesting fuel tracks in their new builds. And even though there are a large number of older vessels, you know, vessels between the 15 and 30 year age mark that are that are still out there on the water the vessel owners and their their boards and the people who hire them the charterers they're they're demanding newer vessels with newer technologies on them and so we are still seeing a, a growth in that new build market and for people interested in having the latest and greatest available you know on board it's not always a well liked motivator for for a lot of industries but what about like government control right we hear IMO 2020 where we have governments and, and everybody pushing this down upon the industry do you see fuel management as something maybe on the on the far horizon that gets mandated from that type of level well there's a lot already being mandated around fuel management right so the IMO 2020 and there's also an IMO DCS which is data collection system oh, okay. regulation that's out there all of that is about trying to put some standardization around how emissions data is being collected how fuel data is being collected and then the types of fuel that fuels that are being used right for for those performances so i definitely see you know i don't see that changing there was a lot of wonder of whether or not the IMO 
was going to change their mind towards the end of the year around 2020. I don't personally see that happening. And I don't think there will be a need for regulation if the companies themselves are willing to adopt the technologies, right? right? But so long as we continue to have an uphill battle with having the industry adopt to a new innovative way and to catch up with the other industries that are out there, then then the only way that you're going to be able to make that change is through regulation, which is which is what we're seeing right now, right? I don't think it has to come to that point, though. And I think that hopefully as more technologies like mine, not only in field management, but in other sectors of maritime data collection and offshore data collection, as those all improve, I, I would really hope to see that change. What's a common myth that you face day to day while you're out? talking to customers and trying to spread the good word of fuel tracks. Yeah. So a lot of it is a a product of our own success that we only work for OSVs and that we only work in the offshore oil and gas space. I know we're here on the offshore oil and gas network, right? So that it's offshore oil and gas. So we go (laughs) offshore, you know, anything. So a lot of people think that that we're, we're just there, right? But really, like I mentioned earlier, fuel tracks is designed to fit any type of vessel, any type of, you know, vessel that's in the water that's consuming fuel in different ways. The fact of the matter is, is that there's not a lot of technologies being, you know, out, out the gate applied when it comes to fuel fuel management and really precise levels of detailed, accurate fuel monitoring. And, and that's what we can provide, right, is that level of expertise and insight. No matter how complex your vessel is, no matter the types of fuels that you're consuming, we, we definitely have a solution that, that can be applied for you. And so that's where we, we're really, but, you know, like you asked earlier, where are we growing? That's where, where we continue to look on the horizon. Besides, where can we take the data? What other maritime applications are we not prevalent in that we can be more prevalent in? I would say more on the tanker market, more in the shipping containers market, in uh, you know other maritime, large maritime sectors like that. Yeah, no, that sounds certainly have a lot, long way to go. You have plenty, plenty to still go fight and get deployed on and and get turned around. So that's that's got to be positive. Yes, yeah. There's a there's a lot of vessels in the water, and the vast majority of them are still measuring fuel th- the same way. Like I said, so there's a a lot of room for growth. I would say in this industry. I would think that education has to be a big part of that, getting the word out, getting people to understand. I think podcasts are a good tool for that. <laughs> I, I agree. I 100% agree. I'm a, I'm a huge podcast fan. I'm excited to hear about this this new podcast and to be a part about it. And I'm a huge listener of others as well. What other avenues for education or you know, how, how else are you getting it out there to, to the world? Yeah. So, you know, education is really important to us and, you know, hearing hearing the feedback from our clients about the things that, that they need to learn about, right? A lot of it is is just edu- not only educating about how we how to use our tool, but the types of fuel theft issues that we've seen around the globe. So a lot of our lessons learned, a lot of the quote unquote creative things that we've seen from different areas of the world. And then, you know, to see those patterns being replicated and then try to give some insight to the operators and the and the charters in that region about some of the issues that they may be facing. I think that that maybe that that's one more myth I would add to the, the list of, you know, what, what are the myths that that we hear. A lot of people think that, you know, fuel theft doesn't affect me, right? Fuel theft doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me in this region or it doesn't affect my vessel type. The fact of the matter is it's everywhere in the supply chain. It's it's in every part of the supply chain. And if it doesn't affect you directly, it does affect you indirectly. And so, you know, that's something else that we're we're continuing to work towards. What about in addition to fuel? I mean, do you see 
maybe down the on the, again on the horizon do you, do you see the deployment of sensors through field tracks that might track engine oil burn and coolant loss other engine components that might tied into that? Those are really great questions. There's a lot I can't talk about oh, okay. right now. But <laughs> I tried. I yeah, tried. Yeah, I, I, but I will say that because we we do have direct accurate fuel consumption for each individual engines that are being measured, we already have a lot of detailed information that's not being utilized by our users. I would say that there's a lot of engine details that you can get directly just from fuel consumption that people aren't looking into. So what we're doing is we're working with those engine manufacturers. We're starting to partner with them and starting to lend them our data so they can improve how their engines are being run because of that. So those are the, some of the new projects and stuff. That That's how we're applying the data. Yeah, I I, I didn't even preface that. It just came uh-huh. to me off the top. But what haven't we touched on yet? We've learned a ton about fuel tracks, what you guys are doing, all the good things with the data analytics and efficiency gains. Are we missing anything? I would just add, you know, we're a growing company that's continuing to collaborate with partners in the industry, right? And so we're constantly looking for new avenues to be able to apply the data and to learn about how others are applying data in the maritime industry. Most recently, this looks like things like we've added weather to our web portal. I think that's really interesting. So giving our clients the ability to collect and compare the weather data directly to how their vessels are performing and then using that for more predictive analytics, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. wants predictive analytics. Tell me how much fuel I'm going to spend by making this trip or tell me how many vessels I need to go and deploy this field, right? And so there's a lot of information that we can tell right now based off of the data that we have. And those are, I guess, some more additional things that we, we continue to look to on the horizon. Yeah, that's something I'm always asking about trying to find. I know it's big, you know, for like airliners and and they know when an engine's going to go out way before the engine actually goes out and trying to get that across all industries is a huge safety improvement as well as efficiency and cost control and and everything there. Right, right. There's a huge safety component when it comes to, you know, understanding how your vessel is operating based on fuel, right? We've just because of vessel location tracking and things like that and the proximities we're able to draw with our our map view on our locations page, we're able to help clients see, you know, things like near misses and be able to help avoid those. And th- there's a lot more insight that you can get, like you like you say, just based off of the the tracking data that we have right now. And so our job, that's the job of our director of data analytics is to continue to work with our clients and say, hey, you know, what are er- what other areas in your business are you using data? And then how can the data sets that we already have for you be applied to help you find those solutions? Fantastic. I've learned a lot. I'm sure all the listeners have as well. It's been a very interesting discussing. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate it. Everybody out there, if you enjoyed the show, I ask if you could please go on iTunes or whichever streaming service you use, leave a comment, leave a rating. Let us know what you thought. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Leave an honest opinion and we'll keep getting the show, making it better for you. Thank you for listening. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everyone. Alex here with the events on deck for November. First of all, we had our best turnout ever for our latest happy hour in Houston with our panel discussion. So thanks to everyone who attended and we hope to keep offering you guys value in the future. Be sure to listen here for any future happy hours. The events on deck for November include OGGN's second Denver happy hour on November 6th from 4 to 6 p.m. The cost of attendance is $20, a portion of which goes to local charities Safehouse Denver and Oilfield Helping Hands. On November 12th at Minute Maid Stadium, IBM's Oilfield of Dreams, Data, Digitization, and Disruption. 
This event is free for all OGGN subscribers. OGGN's Mark LaCour will be doing a live podcast with ExxonMobil and his 2020 oil and gas predictions. On November 12th through 14th is Procurement Week in Sydney, Australia. Our travel partner, BCD Travel, will be sponsoring Day 2 of Procurement Week in Sydney. Day 2 has content focused on the construction, mining, and energy sectors, as well as an indirect procurement leaders forum which encompasses travel. Industry leaders will be discussing value-driven procurement approaches, evolving technologies, and the changing landscape. And drinks are on BCD at the end of the day. The Houston Chapter API Energy Petroleum Club will be meeting on November 12th in Houston. Speaker Shane McElroy will be talking about the sustainability of electric fracturing. We have another free event on deck this month for our subscribers. The Top Coder Innovation Summit will be taking place on November 14th in Houston, Texas. This event is the premier innovation event for industry leaders. You'll have the opportunity to attend panels on innovation and emerging technologies and meet with the YPRO and Topcoder executive teams. Lastly, the Algeria Oil and Gas Summit is happening on November 19th through 21st this year. Alnaft will be sharing onshore and offshore updates for Africa's leading gas producer and opportunities for independent oil and gas companies. And don't forget, if you guys would like to receive these events each month via email, click Get Mark's Monthly Events email link in the show notes of any OGGN podcast. Hope you guys have a great month. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.